0: This week's episode is brought to you by Dell Technologies. Dell Technologies is committed to helping students develop the knowledge, skills, and attributes they need to succeed in an increasingly digital world and global society. As a top provider of technology and services for schools, Dell listens to and works with students, educators, parents, and community members to deliver innovative technology and services that give them the power to do more in and out of the classroom. Learn more about Dell in education at www.delltechnologies.com/k12. That's www.delltechnologies.com/k12. Hey everyone, Jeff here. I am currently at the ISTI Live EdTech Conference in New Orleans, and yesterday we recorded an episode in front of a live audience here at the event. Honestly, it was such a treat to, to be in person with people and to hear people's questions, and I'm excited to share the audio from that conversation. Here we go. Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, a weekly look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young. I'm the managing editor of EdSurge, and um, today I am excited to be in New Orleans at a, in front of a live audience for the ISTE Live 2022 conference. Um, we have a packed room, so let's, let's hear it out there. All right, Uh, this is so cool. On today's episode, we are peering into the future a bit. Um, It's a future, actually, it may not be that far out. Um, We're talking about the metaverse and this, you know, immersive VR, AR um, that the tech giants are pushing and, you know, some people are really excited about. Most famously, Facebook um, changed its name to Meta as a gesture that it's coming to build a metaverse. Um, And, you know, specifically, we're looking at what role education um, could and should play in this evolving space. And um, I think if we when we all walk around the the exhibit hall later, we can sort of I I have a feeling we're going to see plenty of signs that companies are, in fact, looking to to build some education metaverse. And um, and then, you know, folks, folks like yourselves out there, Um, you know, I'm sure have ideas about how to shape that and how how it might, your perspective on how it might help students. So obviously this tech raises a lot of exciting possibilities and some tough challenges. Um, And so obviously that's for both K-12 classrooms and higher ed, which we're going to talk about both in this session. Um, So to help sort through that, we have a couple guests who have been in, feel like they've been further into the metaverse than us. I don't, I can't speak for everybody out there. They've certainly been further than me and, um, and are thinking through these, these issues too. Um, first, we have um, Greg Heideberger from South Dakota State University. Um, he is here in person and as he's going to just tell us about in a minute, he is, their university is building a campus in the metaverse right now um, is called a Metaversity so anyway, thanks for being here, Greg. Thanks for having me. All right, I hope your mic is on there. And and beaming in remotely, we have Kathy Hirsch-Pasic. She is a professor of psychology at Temple University and co-author of a recent Brookings Institution policy brief about education in the metaverse. Um, and that brief, by the way, has some great advice for for these ed tech companies and tech giants building the metaverse about what educators think should be part of it. So, we're going to pull out that some of that today. Thanks, Kathy, for being here, well, being virtually here.
1: I'm here from the metaverse.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I joke, I, we could have maybe created some sort of virtual metaverse for this session, but I didn't want everybody to have to put on a headset in the audience. Um, so, I wanted, I wanted to start with a question for Greg. Okay. Um, you know, we, so we, we've talked about a lot about um, challenges that, that students and colleges are facing, and there's a lot of them, and not all of them are tech, and of tech, not of them are necessarily cutting-edge bells and whistles. So I guess, first off, like what, what made you excited to try and spend some time and effort building some or, you know, dipping your toe in the metaverse here?
2: Well, you know, I, I think uh, as a, a bit of a self-proclaimed techie, uh, somebody who's been uh, trying to, to co-opt technology in the education space maybe before um, it was normed or before there were, were standards or processes or, or a lot of experience there, um, I, I'd seen uh, the, the opportunity to, to build uh, spaces in the metaverse uh, and specifically at the forefront at, at institutions like uh, the Ivies and the Ivy Pluses. I'm at South Dakota State University. I live in, in a state, and our university serves uh, a state that's 400 miles wide, uh, 200 miles north and south. Um, we're tucked over on the edge, and there's less than a million people in our entire state. Um, and we're a land-grant institution. We're hands-on. Uh, uh, we have that, that land-grant mission. And so when we, when we think about the metaverse, uh, what I really uh, got excited about was our ability to keep living our mission, which is hands-on. But still serve the western part of our state, still serve uh, the American Indian uh, community in our state, the rural population of our state, um, and not exactly do hands-on, but get as close as we could. Right? Be better than Zoom. Be better than a one-directional simulation. And so, um, I think that that's really what got me excited. Um, and I'll be blunt. I, I think it's it's also the price point coming down. Um, you know, the reasons the IVs and the IV pluses. Can do this is they build it all in-house and so when the price point came down to three to five hundred dollars when uh, victory xr came came to the table and, and provided us this opportunity to to build our campus in the metaverse to really do something that that engaged people engaged our faculty um i, I really felt like it was an opportunity we couldn't uh, pass up so and kathy i wanted to
0: switch to k-12 for a second you know you recently you know, thought about, thought through some of this and we've seen some already, I think we've seen in K-12 some glimmers of, of what, you know, kind of proto metaverse maybe with things like Minecraft and um, Roblox. Um, what do you think is the advantage of going further into this immersive space than those things that are already kind of more kind of built already with, with things like Minecraft? Like what is the advantage of then going further and doing the metaverse for, for K-12 schools?
1: I'm going to first say that uh, I come to you and this group today with a kind of challenge. And the challenge is that people who do what I do, which is the science of learning, we really study how brains work. We really try to understand how human beings learn when it's optimal for them to learn. And the reason that I came is not so different than what we were just discussing that doing is how human brains learn, they don't learn by sitting around and listening to lectures, even if they're interesting lectures, they don't learn by listening as much as they do by doing. So when I think about what we could do, what we could open up the new vistas for bringing people on field trips outside what's available in their own world. I think that um, the metaverse offers those possibilities and offers a chance for a little bit more doing. Now, having said that, I will say that I also come to you with a little bit of selfishness. And that is that um, we've always wondered why the scientists who study how learning happens are never at the table with those who develop the systems that are supposed to be ed tech systems. So my challenge, to all of you out there is to join us so that we build the very best stuff. Now, you asked me what makes it better than what Roblox is already doing, and Roblox themselves will tell you that what makes it better is that we can create hybrid systems and hybrid systems where you actually have teachers and human beings as guides that help people find and discover wonderful things in the metaverse offers an interesting integration that I think will optimize what education can offer. And one more mini ad, which is at Brookings tomorrow at 10 o'clock, we are actually doing a full panel on the metaverse. And one of our panelists is from Roblox, the head of education at Roblox, where again, we will be discussing why do we need to have this marriage? that can help us create hybrid spaces to make Roblox even better than it is now. So that's why I'm in it. You know, I'm
0: curious, how well do you think your message to these companies of like, you know, listen to the education research, do you feel like they are listening genuinely or?
1: (laughs) That's such a great question. Well, I will tell you that in um, 2011, when we had what we could call the gold rush to the apps, um i would have to say no everybody just put the word educational on front of any app that they develop put it in the store and tried to see how it would sell so yeah. it was more about reaching the marketplace than it was about really doing something that was good for kids in 2021 i came out with a paper first authored by meyer and in, in, in uh, jenny radetsky's lab where we looked at the hundred most downloaded apps we certainly assumed that on very basic criteria, what makes for good educational and EdTech experience, we would find a lot of apps that would cross the finish line that called themselves ed tech and were the hundred most downloaded apps. But sadly, very few of them crossed the line at all to really be of high quality. Imagine out there, you ed tech folks, imagine if you could create high quality stuff that was also fun you'd have another gold rush in your hand. So, um, no, I don't think people are listening at all right now, but our invitation is that we'd like to sit at the table with you. I have a whole lot of folks in my field who know a whole lot about how human beings learn. We're here for you. When you're ready, give us a buzz, and we promise to help you make your product the best that it can possibly be.
0: Yeah, for free advice over there. I feel like you've got your stand of like, you know, come over here, give us the, you know, come over here. and Just talk to us. Um, yeah, I, it's, I appreciate your frankness. <laughs>
1: we'll, we'll, come to, we'll come to your table. But I guess the real thing is, in our field, what we care most about, honestly, is kids and families. That's what yeah. we care about. And we care about optimal learning for kids and families. Uh, we're not people who go out to try to optimize in the sense of, you know, the dollar, that is for sure. We're academics, but there are a lot of us who can speak English and who really will even come to your table to sit down and speak with you about how to do that. So it's best for kids and families. Thanks. Yeah. And,
0: um, you know, I think it's it's interesting, um, these concrete examples for me, some of this metaverse talk, it's so abstract that um, I really want to try to ground it. So Greg, I'm going to switch you and, and ask like, what is this metaversity that you're working to build for South Dakota State University, kind of making a virtual version of your campus? Like, What will that look like and how will folks access it?
2: So we're, we're using virtual reality uh, in, in three different ways. One in outreach and extension, and so we have uh, VR headsets that, that we can put in a suitcase and Uh, take out to a school system and and engage in in communities that may not have access to that technology. We're also using it uh, on the other end, uh, biotechnology in South Dakota, biofuels uh, is, is a big industry and we need workforce. Um, and so we're, we're using it uh, in continuing education. But specifically as we think about the metaversity, uh, building our campus, that's, that's the curricular component of uh, our VR initiative. And so in partnership with Victory XR, which is an ed tech company and has been working in VR and the K-12 system for, for quite a while, um, they're launching 10 campus uh, digital twins. And so our campus is built out in VR, uh, is launching this week, actually, Um, and uh, uh, it it essentially allowed us to build out uh, a campus that looks like and feels like uh, South Dakota State University, um, and then also gave some control to our faculty. So when I I think about uh, uh, being a little bit jealous of those IVs and IV Pluses, one of the things they could do is they could build the software from the ground up not something we have ever been really able to do. We're buying software that's pre-built. We're buying simulations and science that are, again, one directional. Um, and so what our faculty, are, we're launching two classes uh, that will have VR components in the fall. One is organic chemistry and one is uh, human anatomy class. Um, and those two spaces uh, built out in VR will look just like being on our campus in Brookings, South Dakota. Um, There will be some simulations in organic chemistry, and our faculty member got to help to develop those. uh, What instrumentation is used in the actual organic chemistry lab, um, and and what do those readouts need to look like, and what color does that chemical need to turn to, and and all of those kinds of details. And again, that's a really exciting thing for our faculty. And then on the anatomy side, uh, we have a a cadaver program for our undergrads, Uh, but again, we live in a large state, and we need to educate future nurses and, and folks going into healthcare that are 300 miles away, and we teach an online anatomy class, and currently, it's 2D simulations. It's photos, it's videos. And so, uh, our anatomy program will be able to have a cadaver experience, a virtual cadaver experience, um, at a distance, right? Um, and so, I, th- I think, again, as we look at kind of alignment of our mission and our learning outcomes and our goals, that, that's always been core to what we do. But I'll also kind of be blunt, South Dakota State University does not have uh, excess resources. And so we needed to go into this saying, uh, we're gonna test it in really meaningful ways, but we're also gonna think about this in terms of the the pipeline into careers and and, uh, outreach. And we're also gonna think about this on kind of the back end in terms of continuing education. And so um, I think my, in addition to having faculty involved in building and being able to develop the the curriculum and and the spaces, The other thing that I really like about the metaversity piece um, is that it forces live interaction. And so when I think about what happened during the Zoom era, a lot of us moved to to simulations. We moved to hybrid where a faculty member uh, was giving a lecture and they just happened to get recorded at the same time and posted on Zoom or live streamed on Zoom. Um, But one of the things about the metaversity initiative is that it allows a live space uh, for live interaction between students and between uh, faculty and students and I think that that's a key piece of this because the metaversity is great we can send students out to navigate a cadaver by themselves or in some sort of linear fashion that walks them step by step but we know that learning is iterative We know that, that learning needs engagement from faculty it needs that, that feedback and that mentoring and that guidance that ability to ask questions make mistakes and, and uh, go back and forth and so I, I do think that that those two components for us uh, were really key Pieces to, to why we moved in, in the direction of the meta city um, over the last few months, and we'll launch those couple of classes this
0: fall. Well. Um, thanks, Joe. can't wait to check it out later this, this week. Kathy, I, I'm, I know you've also written about this sense of, of uh, play, which I find a little bit um, counterintuitive as somebody who just does demos where I put a, you know, I, I watch a demo, rather, as a user, of like a VR headset on my face, and it feels so isolating, but, but There's this idea that comes up so much when people talk about it as collaboration with others. Can you
1: help me square that in reality here? Yeah, well, I think in fact, uh, Grant really just helped us out because he was pretty clear that this is an interactive experience, not interactive in the sense of two people each on the other side of an avatar, but interactive in the sense that they're real, honest to God, human beings. So I'm going to give you a play experience right now. And um, I'm going to ask you to compare one that's not a play experience and one that hopefully is a little bit more playful. And you tell me where you think you'll learn better. Okay. So I'm going to learn about ancient Greece. You're in a you know fourth grade classroom or fifth grade classroom, and my teacher comes in and my teacher teaches you all about the year 500 BC. Of course, you're very interested, even though you can't make much sense out of what 500 BC could possibly be. And then you have this lovely discussion of the temples that existed at that time, what paganism is. She shows you these beautiful pictures that match what you've just seen in your textbook and off you march to learn about ancient Greece. Scene one. Now let's move to scene two. In scene two, I want you to imagine that when the kids come into the classroom, which happens to be a kind of whiteboarded IMAX classroom. Let's just think big for a moment, okay? And let's imagine now that there's a projection on the ground and that projection is a timeline and the students line up at the present, but they walk backwards and backwards and backwards and backwards until they finally get to 500 BC. Well, that's pretty far back on the number line, by the way, notice number line, they've already learned about space and time and measurement, but we can go forth from that. And when they get there, all of a sudden, the walls are bursting alive. Maybe they're wearing the, the you know heavy goggles, but I am told that in a year's time, where maybe two years' time, we're going to have something like Google Glasses that'll take you there just as easily, much more cheaply, and allow everyone to really see it without the heavy equipment. Mm -hmm. Now the walls come alive, and you are in ancient Greece. My gosh, the hustle and bustle around you. And you see the temples, and you see people praying at the temples, and you see them praying with the gods. You now understand what's going on. This one praying for, you know, the sun, God, the moon, God, whatever God it is to bring them their, um to bring them good crops. Now, after you've gone through all this, and your is guiding you through it as you're watching it so that you know what you're looking at in the hustle and bustle, you get to walk back to the present. And in the present, you see that there are really pretty shabby places. And it looks a lot like the temples have been falling down for years. And you, with your avatars, get to dig in the ground, which has now become a storybook, and to explain with the teacher and your classmates how you knew that Greece looked like it looked in 500 BC. How did you know those first scenes? Now I ask you, did scene two teach you more about ancient Greece, or did scene one That's my vision. After the break, how can this immersive space that
0: requires so much gear to get into be accessible enough for educational purposes? And what can educators do right now if they want to prepare for this future? Stay with us. This week's episode is brought to you by Dell Technologies. As part of their commitment to transforming lives, Dell Technologies has partnered with ISTE, to develop resources to advance digital literacy skills. Head to GetDigitalSkills.org to begin your digital literacy journey. Educators can dive deeper by completing a free online digital literacy in the classroom course. Dell can help you prepare your students to enter the world of work with the digital literacy they need to succeed. Visit GetDigitalSkills.org to get started today. Now back to the episode. Um, I'm I'm curious, back to Greg for a minute, you know, this begs the question of access. Um, We're not in this time where these are light and cheaper, um, even though, you you know, you're finding ways to get, you know, get some resources to try it. Um, How how do you square the access issue with, um, you know, let's say this does become more mainstream. Um, Right now, we've built out a system where people have these one-to-one devices in schools. It's the ubiquity as was, I think mentioned in the keynote yesterday, it's like went from being very, you know, like a small percentage of schools in the US that have Chromebooks or iPads or whatever for every student. Now it's like the majority. So um, that seems like a a win where we finally have this infrastructure that people can use in a kind of seamless way. And it feels like, well, it's like if we go to this new thing where even if it is better as the visions that you two have painted, um, it seems like, wow, don't don't we lose a lot? with access, with um, the number of people that can get that quality, this experience. And how do you, what do you, you know, what do you say to people who say like, wow, maybe it's just too soon to be doing this, um, that's going to leave too many people out
2: in the short run? Well, I, I mean, I think it's a valid point, And I think even if you talk about majority uh, K-12 systems having Chromebooks or one-to-one, um, if I look at my state, if I look at rural populations, if we look at American Indian communities, um, that's not the case. And, and so I, I think uh, it is a real issue, and it is one that we have to tackle head on. Um, but I, I can envision, and I, I am, uh, I think, uh, uh, not with uh, rose-colored glasses here, but I can envision a future where uh, one-to-one VR uh, becomes as normal or uh, hopefully more uh, accessible uh, than the current state of Chromebooks and, and iPads and, and other devices. And so I, I think it's a really important uh, comment, uh, and, and I think especially uh, for my state, for, for who we're serving, and, and how geographically dispersed we are, it's one that, that's difficult to, to tackle because we have counties that are 300 miles away um, and have classrooms there that uh, maybe have 10 or 12 students in a class, um, and they're bused in from hours away, um, and their resources are limited. I've I've been in uh, school systems where the, the gas doesn't work, where uh, there's uh, water dripping through the ceilings, where where uh, you know they're just hopeful that there's heat and and food in in that school system that day, and and we're talking about high end technology. And so I think as we look at needs, as we look at uh, being real honest with, with where we're at, we have to make sure we, we showcase the, the values and the benefits um, that, that can exist with this technology, but we also have to, to be realistic with um, equity and, and making sure that, that we're being inclusive.
0: Kathy, do you have um, a, 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 you know, an answer to this question about how to get this in enough hands or
1: what is, is it going to be fairly distributed? Well, I mean, that, that's an obligation that we all have. I couldn't agree more with what you just said. Um, and I think, yeah, eventually it's going to be ubiquitous. It'll be kind of as everywhere as an iPad is. We're walking around with your iPhone. Um, but, but that's going to take time. And I remember when personal computers first came in, because I'm really old, like I'm as old as the dinosaurs now, and I actually remember this. Um, <laughs> the, the first um, computer at the University of Pennsylvania took up a whole block and everybody kind of guessed that personal computers wouldn't you know, work, nobody would do this, and there'd never, never be equity. But you're hard pressed to find a home anywhere that doesn't have a personal computer now. Um, in the meantime, it is our obligation to make these things accessible and to make them cheaper. One way to start out is even if school systems can't afford to make these fancy schoolrooms that I described in my image, What we could do is there are imax studios and communities and you could have kind of studios like imax around where schools could sign up to take field trips so it could be a community space that communities pay for that people can go and enjoy and it would like the public park that's right Go visit, and people can sign up for space in that park and for classrooms, and you know it may even be more than one of them. But it is imperative that we get the cost down, and that we get the reach wider. Great. One, one of the ways we're we're addressing that is we've
2: partnered with some children's museums throughout the state um, to be able to to launch that initiative. So getting um, the folks who care about the workforce pipeline to pay yeah. for that, to pay for field trips, to pay for the technology. Um, but then providing that, that technology and so uh, as a land-grant institution, we've got the extension model. We've got uh, staff and, and uh, resources in every county throughout the state. I think again, you know, the k-12 system may be too expansive to, to be able to tackle right away But but taking some of these steps in that direction of equity.
0: Well, I want to hear what's what's um, you know, what you all want to hear about. So let's, um, let's have, uh, open it up to questions. Daniel, my colleague, Daniel Monkamp, who you might have read on Head um, is going to help me with the mic here. Um, we have a question in the front. Could you introduce yourself as well and just, you know, say your name and where you're from? And yeah, questions for our panel.
3: Thank you, Jeffrey. Aloha. My name is Degan Bernstein. I'm an educator from Hawaii Island. And I just wanted to thank you, Kathy, for your um, article on the Brookings Institute article. And if anyone in this room hasn't read it, I recommend it. It's pretty phenomenal, so thank you. Thank you. So when you were speaking about, you are kind of speaking to the education technologists in the room when you are putting out that challenge to them, and (laughs) I appreciate that, but I'm a classroom teacher, and when I think about um, the emerging technologies, um, I think about all the stakeholders, right? Teachers, researchers, and the education technologists. Right. And, um, you know, your publication was pretty phenomenal. Jeffrey, you wrote an article about a recent study from had the name Mayer. What was his uh, Richard Mayer did that mm-hmm. study. So I guess, I'm gonna kind of flip the table here. What are you doing in your um, scientific and academic community to challenge them? Because when I go to journal, journal, uh, journals and I type in yes. Web3 Metaverse, I'm getting two, three hits, you know? And as educators, I want the research. I want to, you know, develop my professional capacity. So. Where's the research? How is that research going? And what can I access to um, upskill what I'm doing in my classroom?
1: So let me, first of all, I thank you so, so much for that question. And I think part of the problem, you're quite right with what happened with, um, with apps, is that the tech market moves on a different timeline than the academic market. That's a real problem. Um, you guys get an idea and you're so good about getting it out there and pushing it into um, whatever verse we need the digital the digital spaces where people can start using it then there's that and we move very slowly and things have to be out there and the elephant comes along and by the time we come along our first paper on apps was in uh, 2015. I mean really they've been out since 2011 what happened to you um, I remember the time it took me to write the first paper on ebooks. books um, by the time it came out everybody said you're serious you're studying console books we're so far beyond that so what I tried to do to help out here was to create a set of principles that are derived from the science and equipped with the, those principles and what we know about the science of learning over the last 40-50 years Can we use them as benchmarks or checklists to help teachers in school systems and to help designers who are going to design these spaces create what would be optimal spaces? And I think that may be the way to go. Look, we will have data out there, I promise you. And I even hope that Ed Surge will help make it all understandable as that research comes out. I know I'll do my best to try with my colleagues, but until then, Let's partner on what we do know, use the principles to help kids learn best. And as a teacher, you know it in here, you know it in here. So let's work together to make sure that as they build that metaverse, it meets what you know and what we know from the science so that it's optimal for kids.
0: We have another question, perfect. Um, and if you could say your name and, and where you're where you're coming from.
1: Uh, good morning, my name is Portris and I'm an educator in Birmingham City Schools. Uh, my question is this, what are three action step, novice student, I mean, novice facilitator that wants to get into the metaverse space yep. with younger students?
0: That wants to help younger students get into the- Yeah.
1: A, yep. What step can I take as an educator with a limited budget yep. to go back day one in August and to begin to integrate this into my learning environment?
2: What I'm, what I'm going to say is uh, resources and time matter here, and, and so I'm, I'm coming at it from the, the, higher ed space. And so when I think about what ways could we help you, right, if you were down the road or you were in my state, um, my first answer is we've got to get a headset on you, right? We've got to figure out a way that, that you can engage in the space, that you can start to align your curriculum uh, uh, with uh, existing apps with, with opportunities, right? Because uh, technology for technology's sake is not. Uh, uh, the angle that, that it sounds like you need to take, right? I mean, if, if you're, you're preparing uh, undergrads so who are gonna go into ed tech as a career, that, that, that makes sense, but I think for you, um, it's really aligning curriculum. So I think the, the other part is then resources, right? What resources exist in your area? Are there children's museums? Are there uh, uh, higher ed institutions? Are there spaces that exist that you could bring your classroom there, right? Because there's one level of engagement which is uh, build it yourself, right? Right. Find a grant to be able to get 24 headsets for your classroom, um, and, and that's possible. Actually, uh, I'm going to plug HP here. Uh, I've been on a few uh, webinars with HP. Uh, they do a great job on their grants service side to support uh, folks who are thinking about specifically VR, but I think ed tech generally um, in grantsmanship and in finding funding. And so, um, I think as a again, I'm, I'm Hypothesizing, if I were in the K-12 system, I'd be looking for uh, community organizations that, that care about this, right? Business and industry that cares about, about cutting edge technology. Uh, how can I help to, to make the physical hardware, the physical experience happen? But there's this other component, which is truly the, the curriculum, right? That, that you've got to really dig deep on what is it? Is it science? Is it ancient Greece? Uh, what kinds of experiences uh, do you want to have there? And then again, you're talking about young kids, how do we keep them safe, right? Um, and, and how do we uh, provide opportunities for access and disability and all of those types of things. So I think there's a lot here. I'm not a K-12 educator, so I'm, I'm gonna maybe, uh, I don't know this is okay, kick it to the room. Like, are there others that yeah, You wanna work great. In, in the VR space that, that can I can maybe give you one or two? I don't think I can give you the three steps to, to be successful. Do we
0: have another? Yeah, does anyone wanna take a stab at it in the audience?
3: You know, I was gonna kind of, I I approach it from the back door, like the technology isn't quite there, so I'm focusing on the skills they're gonna need successfully integrate into this technology when it is available. So I'm really trying to lay the foundation right now, being being collaborators, being much more creative, idea creation, idea generation, because right now I don't have 20 VR headsets I can just stick in my classroom. But if I start to build those skills with students and create an environment in my learning community where we're fostering those skills, when they do come in and they're plug-in ready, I wanna be more confident that my school has a framework to go at it and not be left behind now where we've had issues with um, you know tech platforms and we have students who don't know about privacy issues, identity issues, Critical thinking, how to research properly, and they're victims of um, big tech platforms. That's my approach. It's kind of a little bit of a scapegoat backdoor approach, but I think it's the best I can do.
1: Well, uh, there are a couple of things we can do now, and and the first is to um, let's let's play with the suite of skills again. One of the things we can do is think broadly about what we mean by education. So let's look at what we want our kind of product to be at the end of a good education. And I am gonna just briefly take you through the six C's so that you can see what I think we're after and what I think teachers can use as a kind of alternative report card, if you will. So number one is we want and need people to be able to work together. Today, nobody works when they're not working as teams. That is we do do things solo, but in every business, If you talk to anybody who works in business right now, they'll tell you what team they're on. Why are they doing that? Because collaboration is central to how you succeed, okay? By the way, building relationships is absolutely central to how you are as a human being and navigate through the world we live in. So um, that's why I think you heard that um, Greg and I have both been really focusing on a hybrid model, not a let's just let you go immersive or let's just let you go individualized learning on some computer somewhere. We keep talking about bringing it home to social interaction, sea of collaboration. The second is communication, being able to communicate orally, being able to listen, there's a lost art. One of the big problems with the digital world and the amount of information, which by the way, is the equivalent we read the equivalent of seven to eight full newspapers a day is that it's hard for us to know what should we hold on to what shouldn't we hold on to and if your students are anything like mine a lot of times things seep into the papers that have nothing to do with what the thesis statement was how Mm -hmm. do we get back there to critical thinking then to creative innovation not just having them repeat what they've heard but having them put information together in new ways to create something new, that's going to be at their fingertips as we move to Web3 and allow them to design those on Roblox. And finally, we need to instill in them the confidence to try even when they fail. Confidence is really important It teaches grit. It teaches perseverance. And importantly, it teaches us that failure isn't something to be feared. It's something to be revered because if we fail, then we do better the next time around. Most of the greats have all failed before they were ever great. All right, now, with that in mind, let's now imagine that a teacher in a classroom has that as kind of checklist. And then I can think of levels of collaboration. Well, you already know what they are, right? There's collaboration level one or step one. I'm doing it on my own. I don't want to work in a group. You've heard it. Okay. And then there's the people who work in a group. And then there's the people who will go. I'll call it the back and forth route. I'm going to do my piece. You do your piece. You do your piece. Send it back to me and I'll do my piece. Okay. We do this a lot in business. It's called drafting. Okay. But what we're trying to get them to do is build it together. How do we help kids really build it together? Dream it together. So we can move up those steps. And as we as teachers, and I'm a teacher too, begin to see the many steps of what a great education is. We then design our own classrooms through that grid. We think of our students through that grid. And importantly, we think of ourselves through that grid. And we ask, where am I as a communicator? Where am I as a collaborator? Where am I? as a critical thinking, do I bring evidence to bear or do I just scream because I'm so frustrated at something and I come up with cockamamie ideas thats a technical term? So I think if we can use a broader grid for what counts as success, our students will not only do better in our classrooms and be more prepared for the future that's about to come, but they will have the suite of skills that they need to survive in the world of today and tomorrow. We have, a, we have a question on the other side
0: of the room, um, Daniel, um, and a reminder to uh, introduce yourself as you as you share. Thank you.
2: Hi, I'm Sarah Malera. With blind. I've been doing research in blind students with a lot of educational technology. Um, so I'm really curious um, how people are beginning to think about the accessibility that ever um, for blind students and other students with disabilities um, people might um, experience the world through particular modalities, or different modalities, want to experience it in in kind of this adaptive way, being the the navigation through that virtual space, or the um, you know a description of the the visual content. Um, but I was just curious, what, what 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 steps may be taken to incorporate that accessibility in, into a metaverse?
0: Oh, thank you for sharing that. So um, just to repeat, since it was cutting in and out a little bit. Um, the the question uh, and and Kathy maybe you could start start this one but what what is how much thought has been done since such a visual medium um, that we're talking about whether it's AR or VR um, for um, those with visual impairments <clears throat> and you know how do you
1: make it something accessible where it's so visually first um, I have a couple of responses to that now I mean really you're going to have to ask the people who make the ed tech <laughs> But at least from some of the things I've seen, it seems to me that um, life will be a little bit more accessible, not less accessible as we develop the metaverse, if again, it's developed right. Let me give you two examples of why I say that. First of all, in the visual space, for those who have maybe some vision, but limited vision, In the same way that computer screens can allow you many different kinds of brightness and accessibility, um, you'll be able to do that in the digital space of metaverse.
0: To kind of fine tune how you see it if you have different, need it somehow enhanced.
1: Yeah, it can be targeted to the visual capabilities that you do have and and the way in which you actually see secondly i've actually experienced i think the most powerful one i experienced was when um it was very scary because i'm sure i killed the patient but i was asked to do surgery in the metaverse and i put my hands into these glove-like structures and um honest to god it felt like i was picking up a knife and like i was cutting
0: there was like a haptic feedback, in other words, in this PR. I'm assuming you weren't actually cutting a patient, by the way. So
1: I certainly hope not. Yeah. <laughs> that person is probably long gone. But, um, but there, it, it seems to me a very powerful tool to be able to feel things and to cut things and maneuver things and build things um, through some sort of sensation on your hands that otherwise you wouldn't be able to try out or feel or see at all. And so that's why I say to you, it brings you to environments that many of us would not have the opportunity to ever be uh, or to to visit. And I think once they refine this, things are going to feel maybe not as real as real, but pretty darn real. And that means that you'll be able to do a lot more even when you can't see to understand worlds before you go to them. Imagine for a person who is visually impaired, if they could test out the environment that they're going to before they go and they could feel where the couches are and they could feel where the tables are. Um, They would know a lot. They'd be a lot better prepared for where they were going. And that's not even learning about surgery. So I'd like to believe this will open up more opportunities for access rather than closing them down.
2: Great. Greg, did you have any more to add? And then
0: um, yeah. we're gonna do a quick wrap up and go because we're at time here in a minute.
2: Yeah, I, I would just agree. And I think uh, Kathy's right in the, in the long term, this needs to be done right. In the short term, one of the, 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 the reasons that we went with Victory XR and the, the product, uh, which is built and engaged that we did is that it's also accessible uh, via a web browser. And so it will provide us a little bit more of the, the plug plug and play or, or utilizing some of the services on our campus that already exist. Uh, around disability services and support services for uh, uh, diverse students. Um, And so, you know, not everybody has to be in a headset all the time that 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 VR environment is available in 2D if needed, um, if the internet access isn't strong enough, if the the situation or the, the limitations are requiring such an environment.
0: Well, um, honestly, there's some obviously these are so many questions that it opens up. But I, I one of the themes that I'm hearing in all of this is that this is a new technology and it is, it is kind of it raises like kind of stacks all of these issues on top of, of each other. But the, the thing I'm reminded from especially Kathy's um, research paper from Brookings is that we have gone through tech change before at least, right? Some of these things when they happen with, you know, ebooks you mentioned, you know, it sort of set the Wayback Machine. Remember when eBooks, it just seems so like, I don't know, like I'm showing my age, but like it's, the book is dead, There will be, no one will ever read a printed book again, um, sort of moment. And then now things, you know, for better or for worse, we can all read ebooks. books um, And now we've gone through these experiences before with both the big tech experience and how it's played into education and the research that has been done on existing environments with the education spaces, um, whether it's Minecraft or Roblox or, or you know, something um, more recent. And so I guess the, the, the thing I'm hearing from our panelists is that it's like we can take what we've learned from these last few years and decades and, and apply it more rapidly to these rapidly changing areas than maybe got applied with education in the past. And so maybe the challenge to the tech companies is work with educators, but maybe the challenge to educators is, you know, kind of rapidly share what you do know from your experience in the classroom using the tools y'all are really good at already, um, so that so that this can be a this take can be kind of better. Things can go better for students and education. Is that square? I'm getting head nods. You can't see on a podcast, but some head nods from our panelists. And then any other points you want to wrap up with just in a one-minute speed uh, answer? Greg, first.
2: I couldn't agree more, and and I think it's about collaboration. EdTech needs to engage us, uh, the the folks on the ground, the researchers, and we need to be better... and more adaptable in getting our data out and uh, sharing that story. So I think that's a key piece, is that we've got a great future ahead of us. Uh, There's going to be something after the metaverse. There'll be another uh, new ed tech uh, opportunity, Um, and and I think we have to use these frameworks to to keep applying best practice, to keep applying uh, direct, straightforward principles like Kathy's. Uh, six C's, you know, uh, to whatever that that new thing is. But I think we also have have to be reflective. We we have to keep getting better too.
1: Kathy, you get the last word. Oh my gosh, that's so scary. I just want to say together, we can all make something greater than what we can make alone. That's the power of collaboration. And as we do so, my greatest hope is that we never lose our humanness because the greatest thing that our species has to offer is social skills, one-to-one being together. So let's work together and let's make it happen. All right,
0: thank you everybody for coming. Let's give a hand to our panelists here. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Every week we bring you conversations about innovation and change in education. If you like the show, please follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young, and I'm on Twitter at JRYoung. We will be back next week with more on the future of learning. Thanks so much for listening.